Blog Talk Radio. Carol the Coach. Sex, love, and relationships. We talk about it here. Carol the Coach. Compassion with contemporary relevance. I am a psychotherapist. I can be your personal life coach and I can help you with your issues. There are no problems too small or too big. You can talk about anything. Speaker, columnist, radio TV host, and commentator. Carol the Coach brings messages of wellness and empowerment within reach of everyday people every day. Almost five years ago, I lost my soulmate in an accident. He was killed in a plane crash. Life just for me has seemed to stop. There are groups all over the city. I mean, I teach one. It is a specific way to start thinking so that you shift how you see the world, which then shifts your energy, and then you feel better and you actually see things differently. Carol the Coach, always available to at carolthecoach.com. Now I've got Russell on the line. I'm 47 years old. I'm a truck driver. I'm married. I have a wife in San Francisco. Okay. I haven't been home in six months. My thing is, I, I don't know if I have a sex addiction or what the problem is. Why do I want what I can't have? And as soon as I can have it, I don't want it anymore. You're right on target when you say, I don't know if I have a sexual addiction. Well, guess what? Yes, you do. And you know what? That's my specialty, Russell. So you're at the right place. Continue. I meet women online and, and I'm in a different part of the country. I, I travel all 48 states, so I love sex. I hear self-esteem issues. You never felt good enough and you didn't feel like you were getting what you should have then. And you're really reenacting that now. Do you want to change that about yourself? I got an interesting email from a woman who said, boy, Carol, I am so grateful for the work that you have done. You see, my husband is an addict. He's addicted to sex, porn, alcohol, and drugs. He kept his addictions hidden until about 2016 when a prostitute offered him a bowl of heroin. And so he says that's how it started. Anyhow, he's living and working about eight hours away at a 12-step rehab. He claims to be sober, but I honestly have no idea whether he is or not. I think perhaps his most severe addiction is to lying and keeping secrets, but that's a whole nother topic. I think it would behoove our community of partners and addicts if leaders started publicly discussing the patriarchal culture and the thrives and rehabs in AA. I want to make it clear, Carol, although I respect rehab and the principles of AA, Just like religion and so many other great things, both can be easily exploited. Over the course of two years, my husband literally has used what he learned in multiple treatment centers, in AA, Al-Anon, NA, SAA, SLAA, to secretly continue using and successfully pathologize my behavior. I am sad to say I believe he is still doing it. I don't know. Only time will tell. You know, Carol, I want you to talk about this issue. I want to know your thoughts. And again, thank you for your incredibly important work. And we will call for Mindy. So now, I believe that, Mindy. 
to some degree, I absolutely do. I work with partners and addicts all over the world that don't know the newest approach to treating addicts and partners, and that's from a relational standpoint. And, you know, when you work with people from a relational standpoint, it's not just one person that's what we call the IP, the identified patient. It is bullshit, the family that is suffering. And it's new and it's different. It's been around about 10 years. And I got to tell you, that's why I am certified, trained, and on the board for APSATS because this is how I believe it should go. Now, if you're a sex addict and you don't have somebody in your life, keep working on yourself, keep doing your 12-step work, and keep working it because it works. But if you're somebody in relationship, if you're somebody who's in a coupleship, then the ball game changes with sobriety, and here's what I believe. What I believe is no longer is it just your sexual addiction program. It is a program to you use all the tools that you can to get sober and to get honest and to become truthful. But because sexual addiction is a betrayal, because it is a relationship issue, i got to tell you, your work is twofold. It's to get sober. It's to become abstinent. It's to work recovery. And it is to provide the truth that your spouse and family deserves. And that's something really different. You no longer can tell your spouse, I'll work my side of the street in recovery and you work yours. Instead, as an addict, you must, and I mean this from the bottom of my heart, you must help her or him, depending on who the spouse is, to be safe, to be honest. You have to be honest with what you're doing so that he or she knows the truth. You have to work recovery, not just for yourself, but for for the coupleship. Because you know what? When you became a sex addict, when that behavior became compulsive, when you were lying all over the place, it dissolved the truth and the foundation of your integrity in the relationship. And now you've got to rebuild that relationship. So when Mindy says, whoa, Carol, I think rehab centers and AA or Al-Anon or SLA or SAA have it wrong, um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to be open-minded. I'm going to say maybe there are 12-step groups that do it differently now. But what I know what Mindy's referring to is the fact that, you know, I have partners all over the world who say, I want to feel safe. I want to feel stable. And so you need to let me know what you're doing. You need to check in with me. I need to know what recovery you're working because I love you. I'm married to you. You are my significant other. And that's okay. The boundaries have changed in terms of recovery work. 
I cannot emphasize that enough. If you're hearing me now, you know that Carol, the coach, is telling you it is no longer just about your recovery work. It's about you being able to make your partner feel safe, secure, and you need to let him or her know what you're doing to do that. For instance, I'll just share with you. I had a group member several weeks ago who had gone on a trip, and he's working a great program. And he had somebody, well, he actually had a couple different women approach him. He's a good-looking guy. And they came on to him. And he was really great. He ran from that. He said, I couldn't get into my hotel room fast enough. And so yay, Ross, for this person, that he avoided the temptation. But here's where he faltered. Here's where he went wrong. He's been home two weeks, and he has not shared with his partner what happened. Now, here's what I believe. He has an obligation to let her know so that they can have an open dialogue about the things he did right and maybe the things that she would have liked for him to do differently, including telling her right off the bat. He said, in all honestness, I mean, he said, I didn't want to trigger her. I, didn't, I did the right thing, so I didn't want to tell her. Well, that's the old school program that says, hey, talk to, your, talk to your sponsor. Talk to your fellowship. Don't talk with her. But that's not how it is anymore. Now, in, in essence, you know what I said to him? Because his wife is an amazing person. And I don't know that his wife is going to want to know but he doesn't know that either. So this is the perfect time to say to her, hey, honey, you know when I went out of town two weeks ago, I thought about telling you that I was approached by a couple of different women, and I did the right thing. I followed through with my recovery tools. I exited, stage left. I got into my hotel room. I stayed safe. But I was afraid to talk to you about it because I was afraid it would trigger you. And I was afraid of your reaction. I was afraid of conflict. I was afraid that you wouldn't believe me. I was afraid that it would start up all those old insecurities when I wasn't doing so well, when I wasn't working a good recovery program. So I kept it secret. And when I talked with my group, They all said unequivocally, and I was so proud of the group for this, you need to find out where she stands. Maybe she wants to know. Maybe she doesn't. We said to him, you know, she may say, yeah, you know what? If you are approached by somebody, if you are triggered by um, something and you handle it well, I don't need to know about it. Do talk to your sponsor. Do talk to your fellowship. You don't need to burden me with that. Just burden me when you're struggling because I deserve to know if you're struggling because you are the person I love and I need to know. She may say that. Or she might have said, or may say, because he's promised to talk to her, she may say, you know what, I just need to know when you've been approached. I need to know the good things you're doing. 
it will make me feel good to know that you are honest and open with everything that's occurring in your life. And then we said there's a third outcome, and that third outcome could be exactly what he worried about. He tells her. She freaks out. She starts questioning him. Well, how do I know that, that um, you did the right thing? What do you mean she touched you and you moved away? Where did she touch you? How long did it take you to get to your room? Did you think about contacting her? Did you know her? Do you have her number? You know, sometimes these are the questions that a partner will ask. And there may be a part of him that since he was doing so well, he didn't want to have to deal with her triggers, her trauma, her reaction. But you know what? As an addict who's in good recovery, you got to be able to do that. That's the least that you owe her. And if she says, no, I don't need to know that stuff, okay, that's cool. You don't have to share that with her ever again. But in the meantime, I'm here to tell you, honest, authentic, and transparent is the way to go. And if you're afraid of conflict, if you're afraid of her trigger, if you're afraid that it's going to open up a can of worms, you need to do it anyway, especially if you're in good recovery. Because here's what I know to be true. When you deal with conflict in a healthy relationship, it actually breeds intimacy. So even if it looks like it's going bad, just know that the partners I work with say, all we really want is the truth. We can handle the fact that you were approached. We can handle the fact that you were triggered. We can handle the fact that you gave it a second thought. We just want to know the truth because that is the foundation for intimacy. So I'm going to encourage you, if you're an addict, to think about a situation whereby you weren't honest. You were afraid of the conflict. You didn't think it would benefit the relationship. And I'm going to ask you to be true and honest because guess what? Sandwich it with the real feeling. Hey, I'm afraid to talk with you about this because I know it could start a storm of questions. And I don't want to do that. I don't want to trigger you. And I don't want to go through it myself. But here's the real deal. This is what happened to me. And I did really well. And I want you to know, because I want you to have that truth. And don't be surprised if after a lot of good recovery, she says, hey, you don't have to tell me that. I don't care. If you're doing the right thing, just keep it in the program. Talk to your sponsor and only share with me when you really think you are struggling with what to do because we're in relationship together and I want to know so that I can be aware of what those struggles are. Okay. That is a real-life question and email from Mindy. And, Mindy, thank you so much for sharing that. Tonight, I am interviewing a woman who is an expert in love addiction, toxic relationships, and trauma. 
And we're going to be talking about what is love addiction. You know, so many women that look like they're sex addicts are really love addicts. And they use sex to find and to foster that real relationship that they want. And, of course, if you're going to use sex to find a relationship, you're not going to be able to do it, that intimacy. And that takes being open, authentic, and honest. So welcome to the call, and we are so excited to have an expert in love addiction. How are you tonight? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me. Well, you have done a fabulous job of providing programming for love addicts, men and women that are in toxic relationships, but specifically women. And... um, I wanted to know more about that, Sheena, so I thank you for being willing to participate. I would like to know, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, how you got involved in this work, and especially tell us about your story? Yeah. So my name is Sheena Tubbs, and I am a licensed professional counselor based in Houston, Texas, and I'm also a trauma recovery coach. And so... I have been a therapist for close to 10 years now, and when I first started, I worked a lot with um, teens, and then there was a portion of my career where I worked in a residential treatment center where we treated a mix of personality disorders and addiction, and then from there is where I learned about, um, well, at the center, I learned about love addiction because what we found is that as people were starting to get sober, it was really love addiction that was underneath it because people were self-medicating um, from their traumas and from just um, their mental illness by trying to cope by having these fantastical relationships. And so when I was working through those steps with clients because I didn't hear, I had no idea what it was, and I was given the step work to talk about with clients, I just thought it was crap. I was like, how can you be addicted to love? And I just kind of half-heartedly did it because I was supposed to. And lo and behold, um, I entered therapy a few years later for myself because my mother had passed away and I my life just turned upside down. And a lot of the ways that I had been acting out in the past just escalated. And so I'm talking to my therapist about what's going on and he says, have you ever considered going to a sex addiction meeting? And I was like, I don't need to go to a sex addiction meeting. Like, that is not me. Um, I refuse to go to a place where there's trench coats, people in trench coats and um, hurting people, you know, all the stereotypes and all the negative things that people assume. And um, my life just kept getting worse. And so he's like, I really think you should go. And then he mentioned that there was a program called SLAW, Sex and Love Addiction. And I went there and cried, of course, and my life just, it completely changed, and I completely started, things started to make sense. And so I entered recovery, and while I'm still working at um, my center, then I ended up leaving just to have more of a healthier balance, and after a few years of recovery, I said I really want to start helping people who battle sex and love addiction, and so I I was still seeing everybody um, for all things, and I said I want to focus on sex and love addiction, and so I started seeing men and women um, for sex and love addiction, and I said, you know what, I really want to focus on women and this trauma aspect and this love addiction part because it feels very prevalent um, and everywhere, 
And so that's what I've been doing. And it's been wonderful. Yes. And so here you were. You didn't really even know that sex and love addiction occurred. And you called that SLAW, S-L-A-A. Did you find that that was mostly for women? Are, Are men also love addicts? Absolutely. So I think I am really blessed because being in Houston is a major city, and um, uh, we're blessed that our fellowship for SLAW is really it's pretty big and it's really diverse. And so we had co-ed meetings, we had same-sex meetings, and um, just different variations between whether or not someone's a love addict, love avoidance, love anorexic. Um, and, yes, those meetings were full for men as well. And actually, I know we're going to talk a little bit more about my work. What I have found uh, with my platform mm-hmm. is that there are a lot of men who struggle with love addiction, but what happens is um, they more focus is put on sex addiction recovery for them, and so they don't really have access to the resources and the support and the language that really speaks to the reason why they're acting out. Okay, well, that makes sense, and you're right. We're going to find out more about you and your work and what you've discovered. So it's good to know that love addiction or sex and love addiction can occur in either one or both of those sexes. So now why do you focus mainly on women? I focus mainly on women because I feel like it's easier for me to speak the language of women. Um, I'm one of four daughters, <laughs> and so it's just, it just comes naturally to me. And then also, um, if I'm speaking honestly, I think also just for my own sobriety. You know, like I did a little bit of both, and I think I think I would rather just make sure that I'm protecting myself as long as protecting um, the people who I serve. Um, I have, though lately, as I've just created more things, um, I have been branching out to take some men as clients, though, because um, there's not a lot of people who focus on love addiction for men, and so I, I, I just want to be of service, and so, so that's why I focus on women. Well, that makes a lot of sense. I, I didn't know because I know oftentimes there is a belief, at least in the 12-step program, that if you're female, you work with females. If you're male, you work with males, and that's to keep the boundaries you know, very um, clear and safe. And yet I remember asking Pac when, Patrick, do you think it's going to be a problem that I am not an addict? And he said, well, no. I mean, you don't have to have cancer to treat cancer. And then I said, do you think it's going to be a problem that I'm a woman working with a lot of male sex addicts? And he said, no, sometimes I think that's actually easier. So I want to ask you, um, when you're working with love and sex addiction, are you comfortable working with either male or female addicts? Yeah, I think I'm more comfortable because when it's about love and sex addiction, um, it's Mm -hmm. more about the trauma recovery. Um, There's more um, easier access in a way to get to the root cause um, and there's more mm-hmm. openness and vulnerability. And so I'm I'm really comfortable working with with love addiction more than more than sex addiction, even even in um women as well. You know, there's there's a lot of avoidance 
and there's a lot of um, um, more walls, you know, which of course is trauma related. Um, but um, it just is an easier flow for me to work with pure love and sex addiction. Got it. So now tell the audience, what, how do you describe love addiction and what are some of the common characteristics? Yeah, so love addiction, this is not going to be the, the dictionary um, definition or the professional definition, but I just phrase it as any perpetual pursuit of a relationship or a fantasy of a relationship in hopes that it will fulfill some inner need that you have. And so it's any sacrifice that you would make of yourself, of your sanity, of your soul to try to bend or twist or become who you believe this person wants you to be um, and whether or not it is real. And also on the other side, it's, uh, it's the inability to connect to other people or, the, or connect to yourself. And so that might look like a love addict because what you're doing is you are showing this false sense of yourself to try to get the person to stay. And it can also look like being more love avoidant, which is where you start off with this, um, y'all are connected and you're attached and it feels really great. And then all of a sudden you start to criticize them and you start to see um, that there's flaws and that this isn't going to work and you start to get busy. And it's because no matter what, no matter what extreme you're on, you're searching for someone or something to make you feel better. But because you came from a background that didn't show love in a healthy way, that didn't show you how to connect in a healthy way, where people didn't connect to you in the way that you deserved, you don't know how to do it as an adult. And so no matter the partner, you can't, you, you can't make it work. Um, and so you keep getting in failed relationships as a result of the love addiction. Yeah, I absolutely get that. And, you know, one of the things that I know about love addiction is that oftentimes there was severe neglect in that person's childhood that created kind of a gaping hole that they, you know, in in doing the best they could to cope, figured out if they filled that hole with sex or desire for love, they would immediately feel that, um, oh, that medication of dopamine that we oftentimes feel and that that became compulsive and they kept wanting the dopamine. And and let's face it, that doesn't last. And so they were always looking for that Yukai. Did you have that kind of wounding in your own life? Oh, yeah. Um, You're right. It's universal that childhood emotional neglect um, Mm -hmm. is definitely the key factor in why someone is a love addict across all types of homes. So, yes, um, yeah, you know, and I think I'll say this. A key refrain that I hear from the majority of my clients, not all of them, is the same one I'm going to say right now. Um, but it's with awareness, mm-hmm. and that phrase is, my parents did the best that they could. Um, mm-hmm. And what my clients say, especially when they're new, it's more of a protective thing. It's like there's this resistance to wanting to talk about it because it feels like you're betraying them, and it feels like um, it's wrong and you feel guilty. But I say that just with full, aware, full awareness that my parents, um, one, loved me. Um, my mother who's passed away and my father who's currently living loves me. And 
out of their own wounding and own trauma. You know, they have and are doing the best that they can. And there were real needs that I needed that I did not get. And it's no shade to them. It's just how it was, you know. So. Absolutely. And, you know, our parents, oftentimes didn't get their needs met and they didn't know how to do it any differently. And mm-hmm. because they didn't know how to do it, they perpetuated the same thing they experienced. We kind of call that trauma reenactment sometimes. And and so you, our listening audience, grew up in a situation where you were pervasively neglected or wounded by your own parent. You may find that you look for love or sex to feel better about that wounding. And Sheena is an expert at figuring out how to make that gap smaller, how to fill that hole in a healthy way. So, Sheena, tell us a little bit about some of the tools that you teach people to find true recovery. Yeah, so for me, I am a trauma-forward and trauma-focused therapist, and so I always bring it back to childhood trauma. And this is after there's a lot of validation, meeting people where they are in their pain, making space for it, um, because, you know, sometimes people come into the rooms and they, they want change, but they're not ready to go to their those places, and they're more hyper-focused on the person and the relationship. And so I've learned that people need to move at their own pace. Um, You can't force this process because it's the hardest thing that that you'll have to go through, and it's it's really hard. And so um, holding space, um, teaching people that it's okay to have feelings, it's okay to have fear, it's okay to forgive yourself for the fact that it is hard for you to let go and to want to change these behaviors and not let go. I think that's one of the hardest things that people who are love addicts go through, just the shame, the constant shame. And so um, building a safe place that way. And then after that, um, and and the tool for that to answer your question is just teaching self-compassion and just becoming aware of how you speak to yourself. Um, and related to that is the next step is the trauma and learning where that voice comes from. And so a lot of times we think that voice is ourself, and, and it's because we learned a flawed way to motivate ourselves because we're just recreating um, the, the, I don't want to repeat the same word, but I'll just say it, um, the criticism that we may have been out for parents of being not good enough or that we can just do something better or um, that we need to be more than what we are. And so we say that to ourselves to try to motivate us, but it just keeps us lower. And so um, once we figure out where that root trauma comes from, then we start to we start to get rid of it. We start to clear it out. And it could be through things like EMDR. Um, if I treat someone who has um, a an emotional disorder like borderline, then we might do some DBT skills to help people get more regulated. But it really is processing those things. Mm-hmm. And then next um, is connecting the people I'm attached to, who in my life and who in my family am I trying to resolve that trauma wound? And so, you know, a lot of times, and I, and I know that maybe not as common in these circles because a lot of us are hyper aware, but just in the general public, people talk about daddy issues, you know, like 
he or she, or mostly is usually around a she. She's attracted to a certain kind of guy um, because of daddy issues. But really, it's it's, mo- it's mostly mom, as we know with Kelly McDaniel's work. Um, but just figuring out where am I trying to make sense and feel better, and then we learn how to give it to ourselves from there. Um, and build healthy communities so that we don't put all of our needs and our wants on this person, this fantasy relationship, so that we can actually get the healing and love we deserve. Well, and you referenced Kelly McDaniels, and she's kind of the godmother of love addiction. She was one of the first people to really identify love addiction and write about that. And do you remember Mm -hmm. her book? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I love Kelly. (laughs) We've talked multiple times. (laughs) Absolutely. And isn't her book, um, what is it, Helping to Heal or? Ready to Heal. I can't remember. Ready to Heal. And and so Mm -hmm. she obviously identified what love addiction was, which was different than sex addiction. You know, I always tell my addicts, if you have a sexual addiction, the sexual addiction itself is very, very compulsive. And there's not necessarily an element of relationship in it. But if you have a love addiction, you truly are trying to find a relationship to make you feel whole, to fill the pain, to fill the wounded soul, so to speak. And you may use sex as a tool to create love addiction. And I know many of the love addicts that I have interviewed, they do unbelievably compulsive things. You know, they'll sit outside somebody's house for hours waiting for them to come home to see if they've been with somebody else. Or, Uh you know, they'll break in to somebody's home to be there when that person comes home. I mean, they can be very, very desperate and really kind of rationalize their behavior. He would. Oftentimes, people identify as a sex and love addict versus a love addict and vice versa. You know there's a difference. What would you say that difference is? Mm -hmm. Well, let me kind of backtrack. The other reason why I focus more on love addiction with talking Mm -hmm. about women is because women are more likely to identify as a love addict versus a sex addict, and definitely, and also as a sex and love addict, because of the stigma related to the sex and all of the shame that we have around women's sexuality in our society, and so not wanting to look like whatever term you want to say, you know, whore, slut, whatever it might be. So they, there, there's a shying away from that, um, mm-hmm. and then also just finding that balance with women's empowerment. So I, folk, I, I use the term love addiction because it's easier to is more readily acceptable um, or accepted by people. But as far as the difference between um, sex addiction and love addiction, I think you said it perfectly, you know, that the goal is to um, get someone to love them, and if they need to use sex, then they will do so. And there's also, you know, whatever it might be, whether it's um, money, whether it is their time, whether it's sacrificing their career, you know, they'll just sacrifice whatever it is just to have that person reciprocate and be next to them. Um, so, so yeah. Well, that's a great um, differentiation. And clearly, 
you know, you have made it your mission to work specifically with love addicts and other toxic relationships. Tell us about Mm -hmm. some of the programming that you've offered in the past and that you hope to offer in the future. Yeah, so it's been a winding road as I've tried to figure Mm -hmm. out what fits best for programming for my treatment model and then also how to help people who may not be in my therapy room and give them the tools. And so I am a firm believer. I love being a therapist. There's no there's no replacement for the magic and the comfort that happens in that room and just walking alongside people. And mm-hmm. I believe that there should be information that's accessible to people without us having to piecemeal things together. And that was so much of my recovery process, the, um, like, reading a book here and maybe going to a seminar and maybe hopefully getting a therapist who knows what this is and then going to different meetings and listening to other people who have wisdom and then finding meetings that where there's no wisdom at all and just felt like felt like a waste at times. And so I really wanted to put something together that combines giving people access to get clarity about what's happening to them and why and then also give them clear next steps out of it and combine that with a coaching aspect too. So I've created this program that is uh, multi, multi-stage, multi-level to help people wherever they are in the process, and it's broken down um, just so that it can be bite-sized for people and then also um, also so that people can actually get some mastery in it because if you go if you throw like a whole recovery program at one person, it can feel daunting. And so um, people can take it where they are. So um, there's three phases that I, that I work in with folks. And the first phase is called unlearn. And this is where we, I really help people unlearn all of the unhealthy ways that they've had, that they've learned to connect with people and to de- detach from people, um, look at where the fantasy comes from, connected to their family trauma, um, figure out what they actually want in a dating relationship so that they can start to create the life that they want. Um, and so the the course, I have a course that's related to that. It's called the 90-Day Cure. And it's called the 90-Day Cure because it's related to for you to get sober in love addiction. This is a, a really important part I forgot, but I think people who are um, recovering know this already, but you need to go into no contact. You need to not be in touch with yep. people or things that highly trigger you, and the recommended time is usually 90 days. And so during that time when you are focusing on yourself, going with, through withdrawals, going through all that pain, doing this program is a great um, interim activity to make sure that when you're out of that, you're on the other side of it. And then what I hope to offer in the future, because that course just launched, um, is my second phase is called Reprogram. And this is where we learn how to actually connect to people. Because the thing about love addiction, like I said before, is actually just an intimacy disorder. And so when when we're not chasing people, we're going to be running away from them. So once I no longer um, am chasing after unavailable partners, now I'm very good at isolating or making excuses from connecting with people or having a hard time sharing my boundaries and figuring out who I am because I spent so much of my time trying to be who this partner wanted me to be or um, creating this fantasy life or this unreal life in my work or my career because my identity was connected to my success or what people think of me, which is another thing that we go over in phase one. 
And so I was really digging into who I am, how do I connect to people, and how do I reprogram um, what that looks like. And so that's phase two. And then phase three, if folks are still working with me, then that's when we dig into the dating. And that's when when we say, okay, let's go out and meet people. (laughs) And let's talk about the fear if you don't want to meet people, if you're going into some anorexic parts. And um, I really love what I've created because I feel like it's really holistic, um, that it's 12-step friendly for those who adhere to the program. Um, And it's also applicable to people who are not in program as well. Yeah, I was just thinking that some of the things you just discussed would be good for any human being that wants to better themselves and not rely on relationships to feel good. It, it removes that codependency or removes that desire to please somebody else and focus on pleasing oneself. So it sounds like this three-phase program you've got is, is amazing. How can people find out more about that? Yeah, they can go to ginatubs.com to learn more, and there will be links to each of the programs as they're released. If they want to learn more about the 90-day cure for the first phase, they can go to ginatubs.com slash 90-day cure. And then there's one part that I forgot that um, is not a phase, but it's what I believe to be just the underlying factor in all of this, and I, I call it the S factor because it's, um, it's, it's self-love. And self-love is such a huge concept, but I've just learned and, you know, I would assume that most practitioners will agree that um, it's not even really about the things that are going on in your life. It's about how you treat yourself and how you engage in it. So if there are factors of self-love that are balanced, then you can handle anything. And those factors for me are spirituality, self-care, um, social support, um, um, social activities as far as hobbies, sexuality, because a lot of times our sexuality is stigmatized, and so we either go into binge or purge, and um, or binge or, or restrict, and so finding a balance there. And um, two more that I can't remember, but if you want to, to learn about that, oh, self-discipline is definitely one part of it as well. And so we're able to, uh-huh. if we're able to engage in all of that, then uh, we'll be able to detect, okay, my sleep is off. There must be something going on with my anxiety, and that makes me more liable to act out. And so links to that is also on my website as well. Okay, so again, that's SheenaTubbs.com, and that's S-H-E-N-A-T-U-B-B-S.com. And so that's yes, find out more about that programming because obviously what you're talking about here is for anybody who has been wooed in it any way that knows that they've got unhealthy relationship patterns that they need to break and that they need to feel better about themselves and not be dependent on another person to fill that hole. And I just love that you've got it in that three-phase process because obviously there's, you want to work on one thing at a time. You know, you got to do mm-hmm. A before you can do B before you can do C. So mm-hmm. ask you, obviously, you've spent a long time doing this. And, you know, love addiction is one of those things that people 
did not really know about. And it's kind of come out of, obviously, the sex addiction movement. Who were you trained by, and how did you decide that this was going to be your forte? Yeah, so I have been under the training for sex addiction under ITAP, and I'm currently a candidate working towards my licensure. But when it comes to love addiction, I'll be honest with you, Carol, I I have had to teach myself because there hasn't been anything out there, and there's also not enough um, literature or help out there for women specifically, um, even those who do suffer with sex addiction. So it's been connecting with other colleagues and peers who are in the same work, like Stacy Sprout and some others. But really it's been me just being on the ground level and working with women, working with men as well who are love addicts and just figuring out that this is trauma-related and then what's the next best step. And so from there is where I created my my framework. Yeah, and and I'm part of that same group, and I know that these Mm -hmm. people really make it their mission to build a community Mm -hmm. so that everybody can be helped to the best of their ability. And, um, Mm -hmm. you know, it's really exciting that I get what you're saying. You got the basic training on sex addiction, but in terms of love addiction and toxic relationships, you've really had to depend on your own experience with people, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And other trainings so as well. I'm really fortunate to where I was on my master's in, is in marriage and family therapy. And so I came in, you know, with the background of couple and family relationships as well. So I've always had this holistic vision. And you're right, I really do appreciate the community that we have um, to support female sex and love addicts because it, it's needed. And, it, and I'm happy it's getting more momentum and getting more of a spotlight. So now let me ask you, what do you see as some of the big roadblocks for love addicts? I think that love addicts, especially female um, love addicts, do Uh not stay in program. And that is because Mm -hmm. with love addiction, there is a um, comorbidity with other addictions as well. Well, there's multiple reasons, so I'll just say that they, they work together with other addictions. So someone will be a love addict and then come out of it. So break up with someone, have some distance, and then they'll go into another addictive process. So they might start struggling with their food or they might start start struggling with work addiction or start struggling with, you know, shopping, whatever it might be. And But because, um, because love addicts, for the most part, can't, seem like they're functioning very well on the outside, they can convince themselves that they've got it all together. Um, and so they just kind of float between different things without ever getting the recovery that they need, and they're just caught in this cycle. And so I think it's that self-deception that makes it really hard for people to stay in program. I think also this is really kind of hard work. And so it might be self-deception. It could also be pride, but people come in, they get a few sessions in or get a little bit of time in, they feel like they have it all together and then they leave um, before they actually get to the root cause and, and experience some of that change. Um, I think also this this disease is just as strong as other ones, you know, and I can't remember the exact phrase that, um, that AA uses, but just talking about how 
um, like, sneaky and toxic it is and how it just flips them without you realizing it. And so the the prevalence of relapse is really high. So you're doing well and then you meet a guy or girl that you you feel like you're healthy enough to be with, but because you haven't gotten to that, that stuff underneath, um, you enter into a relationship when you shouldn't have. But um, it takes a while for the fall to happen because, you know, you're a love addict and you're going to try to work it out. Um, so I think people don't stay in as long as they need to, for sure, is, is the biggest one. You know, that reminds me of somebody who might have the um, diagnosis of bipolar depression, and once they feel a little bit better, they think they've got it all by themselves, and they forget that it's the community, it's the support, and it's the recovery tools that keep them in a really good place. So you're saying Mm -hmm. with love addiction, when somebody is working a program and they're doing really well, they will forget that they need to continue to use that program and to to access that support. And, you know, what I know to be true is that a lot of love addicts or people that are in toxic relationships have come from such a difficult family situation that they forget that the family they've created through the recovery program is their new family of choice, and they can't just abandon that. Oh, mm-hmm. so, Yeah, there is you know, definitely. Oh, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, so you you would agree with that? Yeah, you know, I haven't. I would agree with that. And this is the first time that I've, he- I've heard someone um, put it that way um, because I think, I think there is a lot of self-focus um, mm-hmm. and people maybe take for granted the connections that they've had, you know, which is why when you go into 12-step rooms, there's always – um, an urging for people who have recovery to stay because there are people who are coming after them who need need to see it, who need that hope and that connection. And then also, you know, the people around you love you as well. I think to that, though, I wonder if part of it is also just just shame, you know, sometimes, like especially if you relapse mm. in whatever way that you consider relapse. Um, not wanting to go back to to tell people, and even though I know that's the that's the crux of the program to be able to share share who you are and your lowest points and have people say, "Girl, me too," and to like love you and for you to feel accepted. I don't know if everybody gets to that point because because there's so much and <laughs> you feel so alone until you actually let that go, you know, let your walls down. Well, absolutely. And so we've done some talking about resources. And obviously, if they go to www.sheenatubbs.com, they will find um, the Love Tribe, Help and Support for Love Addiction and Toxic Relationships. And then you have a website, blackgirlsheal.org, and that's Trauma Recovery and coaching and support for women of mm-hmm. color. And then you've got mm-hmm. SheenaTherapist.com, which is the Houston <laughs> Intimacy and Attachment Institute, where you talk about trauma and relationship therapy for women. So tell us a little mm-hmm. bit about how you see um, love addiction having or being an attachment 
disorder issue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. I I believe that um, the majority of people in the world are love addicts or have love addiction symptoms because of what is love addiction is a trauma trauma response. You know, you you've had um, a disconnect between you and a parental caregiver and that formed the way that you connect or do not connect with other people and how you think about yourself, which is something that's pretty universal with the majority of people. Of course, there's, what, 44% of the population that is um, securely attached, and everybody else Mm -hmm. has some room to grow, which is also why I really love that reframe, um, that you're reframing it to people who are love addicts or people who struggle with toxic relationships because it's so applicable to the majority of the population. And so... um, so, yes, love addiction as an attachment disorder is because um, we don't know how to say what we need. We don't know what's safe and what's um, not safe in a relationship. For those of us who are, our homes were truly abusive in the physical and sexual sense and we're, and it was normalized for chaos to happen around us, for things to be really calm could be really hard. For those of us who grew up in homes that were calm on the outside, but there was that that um, that constant ten- tension or unease or that emotional neglect that we were talking about earlier, but everything was pretty on on the package. Um, that's mm-hmm. where it could be hard for you to know to identify what your feelings are because you've learned so long to push it down, which of course affects your your relationships with other people. So so yeah, I think that this is really is important to figure out what your patterns are, what your dysfunction is, what is actually normal and healthy for you to start to create new patterns and um, and ways to interact with others and yourself. Yeah, I so appreciate that um, way of thinking. And as we end for today, are there any resources, books, movies, groups, um, people that you would recommend that also have expertise in sex and love addiction? Yeah, so I think probably some of the ones that people hear about all the time on your podcast are the ones that I'm going to share as well. So we also mentioned um, Kelly McDaniel and then um, Stacey Sprout's um, book and work as well. I have a podcast called Love Junkie where I talk specifically about um, love addiction and recovery and really just pulling true to my beliefs of giving people information and tools for they, for them to use immediately. Um, mm-hmm. Other books include Attached by Amir Levine, which is what I think is, um, even though he's not related to the sex and love addiction community, um, really breaks down the different attachment styles and also gives you tools and next steps on what you can do to start to practice something differently. I remember I read that book when I was in recovery, and I literally, like, made a copy of this chart that he has and put it on my wall for me to say, this is what I'm going to do next. So I love that book. Um, mm-hmm. And then, of course, And tell um, us one more time. I mean, the name of that, that book is, what's that, the name of that book It's called again? Attached, Attached, and it's by Amir, A-M-I-R, Last name Levine, L-E-V-I-N-E, um, okay. and it's a wonderful, wonderful read. And then, you know, Pia Melody's where it goes without saying. Um, as far as 
TV shows. This is not an expert, but I really suggest people who struggle with love addiction to watch it because it's so funny and it's so real, but it's called um, Crazy Ex-Girlfriends. And the main character is a love addict. It comes out in later seasons that she's um, diagnosed with borderline personality disorder. But you see just the, the, the extremes that people who have love addiction go through. And it's really relatable and it's well written and it's really entertaining. Great acting, too, for a comedy series. So I would suggest people watch that okay. <laughs> for validation. Okay. And where can they find that show? It is on the CW, and then, of course, you can um, watch it online as well, um, watch recent episodes or former episodes. Excellent. And, Sheena, tell us about your podcast. How can people listen to your podcast? Where can they find you? Yeah, so it is called Love Junkie, and I am found on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. And my podcast, you could, when you listen to it, you will literally hear the evolution of how I started talking about just sex addiction in general and talking about it and for everybody and how just over time I've narrowed down to say, okay, I'm going to talk about women and now I'm going to talk about love addiction. <laughs> but um, there's a lot of great um, episodes that people have told me that they listen to who are in recovery listen to over and over just to take take it in, so. Well, what great resources. Again, I'm speaking with Sheena um, Tubbs, who has a podcast. She has three different websites. She is an expert in sex and love addiction. She's made it her mission to help people find recovery. So, Sheena, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom tonight. And keep us posted on other intensives and programs that you got going on so I can pass that on to my listening audience. Will do. Thank you so much. All right. Have a great day. You too. Yes. So that was Sheena Tubbs, and I mean it. She is really um, committed. So take a listen to her podcast. You know, I I know we can't get enough of podcasts, right? You know that we have this, Sex Help with Carol the Coach, and then we have the Partner Podcast, on Thursday afternoons, 2 o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard Time, called Betrayal Recovery Radio. And I'm your host. What can I say? I've made it my mission to help couples, addicts, and partners get healthy and uh, bring love to the forefront by healthy behaviors. So as I end the show, I want to say, there'll always be one of you at all times. Hey, Fearlessly have the courage to be yourself, and we'll catch you next week for more sex help with Carol the Coach. Make it a great week.